where judgment cannot live is in curiosity. So, so, so curiosity is the, the antidote to judgment. Electric Soil Podcast. Imagination is the electric soil of creation. All right, welcome everybody to Electric Soil Podcast. Today, my guest is one Jeff Lester. So Jeff and I have met through the Enlifted Coaching Community. And Jeff actually runs a really awesome once-a-month yin yoga workshop with the Enlifted Community. So I wanted to have him on the show today just to kind of talk all things yoga and... uh, you know, everything that kind of comes uh, with the, the benefits of doing yoga, that being like mental and, and the physical benefits as well, kind of do some, uh, you know, deep dives into that and basically just have a, you know, a, just an overall conversation, get to know the guy a little bit better. So Jeff, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Matt. Super happy to be here. I'm excited. I'm excited to share more about yoga and also like sharing yoga with the Enlifted community is awesome. It's a, it's a pleasure. I often refer to yoga as OG self-development. It's been around for so many thousands of years. And it's the intention behind yoga originally is, is what is the process of evolving human consciousness? And I consider every tool to that aim, every tool to that uh, evolution to be a, a practice of yoga so that we can be connected to ourselves, so that we can be fully connected and authentic to ourselves and know our truth and, and embody our truth. Well, it's a great starting point there. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that pretty much sums it up. So let's, let's, let's start kind of dissecting some of the stuff you said there a little bit. So yoga itself, the word yoga is, does it means union, correct? Is that right? Okay, yeah. To okay. yoke, bring together, bring together. And you were saying, yeah, so it is one of the first, I guess, first official sort of like you say, uh, all in one, uh, definitely all in one, but like workouts almost or workouts or like, yeah, can you, what, can you give us sort of a brief history? I'm going to put you on the spot, a little bit of a brief oh, history man. on yoga, like, uh, yes. you know, the Coles notes, if you will. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, a lot of what we consider yoga in the West is a very, very small, almost microscopic sliver of what yoga really is. So when I, when I refer to yoga as OG self-development, I mean, it's all encompassing. So when we perceive yoga often in the West, it's we're in a yoga studio and we're moving our body. So it's considered a movement practice, a physical practice. Now, what we do in the studio, what we would do with a physical yoga practice is to work on our body energetically. So it's always been about the energetics of the human, of the of the body, of our physiology, and then allowing that to help us connect our body, mind, and our spirit. So there's so many more aspects of yoga. One lineage of yoga we can look at is the eight limbs. And it's very much, it's similar to the eightfold path in Buddhism. And yoga is, uh, it's non-denominational, it's not a religion or anything like that. It's simply a practice. And how, like I said before, however it takes shape, it's going to take the shape of that human being practicing, right? So yoga has its roots in North India, um, pre, predating writing things down, predating recording things. Yoga is often passed as a oral tradition from student to teacher and a very a deep communion between student to teacher because it takes that a, one who knows themselves, a guru, in order to help someone else know themselves. And so we take the part, the word guru, and it and it means light bringer. It means somebody who allows another person to put their attention, their focus on things that might have been in the dark, that might they might not have been aware of, and then bring light, bring consciousness to that. And then therein lies the evolutionary process. So within this eightfold path, this is something anybody can do, and it's simply adhering to some principles about how I embody my life. Am I taking care of myself? Am I um, treating others well? Am I being kind? Am I eating well? Am I um, honest in society and things like that? And then it would go into, so there's like the basic principles, right? And then it would go into how am I moving my body? Am I working on my energy to, to harmonize my energies, my masculine, my feminine, my sun, my moon energy that we all have. We all have, whether we're male, female or anywhere in between, we have these energies in us and it's it's how they manifest do we manifest them in a way that is out of balance or do we manifest them in a way that is in balance and that's an internal experience 
that would manifest outwardly. So it's, it's again, like the yoga practice is about starting with this, this experience, my experience, which is the universe. Without me, without me being here to experience this, there isn't as far as I'm concerned. So it, each one of us is creating the universe in our own way. And so when we start looking within, when we start to connect our awareness, our consciousness, our attention towards what's happening inside, then the evolution process can really begin. The evolution of our consciousness, and then that manifests, that springs forward into our life like that. So it would be about balancing these energies for the physical health, for the mental health, for the emotional health. And there's different tools that yoga gives us to that aim. So one of them is the movement practice. Another one is breath, breath work practice. Pranayama, yoga uses, it, use, uses the term prana to um, describe life force energy. So the, any sensation we feel is because of prana. Any, any experience we have is because of prana. Prana is the life that's animating. You could say it's animating this life, this human experience right now. And then we would divert our attention from the more physical. And by the way, pranayama is very much working on our nervous system. So it's already shifting from a purely physical approach to bringing the same solar and lunar energy, masculine, feminine energy into balance at the more um, mental, emotional realms as well. So when our nervous system is in balance, of course, we know that uh, that's a great foundation for physical health. And again, just like we perceive yoga in the West as something we would just go do and move in a studio and it's a fitness practice, it is, it is so much more about understanding how our nervous system impacts our, our being as well. So it's, so it's more subtle. It gets more subtle than that, right? And then it becomes about how do I withdraw my senses? And, th- and we can consider this a mindfulness practice of starting to pay attention to my senses, so by, before we even withdraw our senses and come more into the self and more into the subtle experience of life, we must start to have an awareness of our senses within the present moment. And it's a story I often tell that, that really lands home for me and, and guides me as a teacher. It keeps me connected. It's where I was, where I started. And I remember being in a place in my life where I was reading a lot of self-development books, a lot of trying to understand mindset psychology and how to get better habits and things like that because I was really searching for this in my own life. I wanted to connect with a higher quality of life for myself. I, I noticed the restlessness, the anxiousness, the, the wanting more in my own personal life. So I started searching for that. And I read a lot of books. I, I educated myself on it, so to speak. And I noticed that a simple through line for a lot of these self-development books, and these aren't even spiritually inclined books, which we could... We could say that yoga is a spiritual science as well. Um, These are just straight up a lot of positive psychology, self-development books, understanding the mechanisms of the mind, um, that we see them in, again, a Western perspective. And one of the through lines was the, the value of the present moment, how valuable it is to show up and be present. And I remember that that completely went over my head because I... And how I know that is a conversation I had with my dad is I, we were in the living room together and I said, you know, dad, all these books are talking about the value of being present. And then the next words out of my mouth were, I'm here, aren't I? How could I not be present? And so I was only relating to the fact that my physical body was here present. And I completely missed the point that my mind could be distracted in any, any number of different pathways and in, in, in the past and the future, et cetera. So I, I have a scattered mind. It's something that I've learned a lot about through my yoga and meditation practice that my mind gets easily distracted. And that gives me the opportunity to remember to come back to the present moment. It was only when I started doing yoga and meditation in a very, let's say, immersive way, like a daily practice, that I really connected with what is present. And I, I remember it uh, viscerally. I remember it in my, you know, as a thought, but also in my body, what it would feel like as I was walking to the yoga studio and I started getting these glimpses of, oh, my mind was distracted. There's the trees. Here I'm doing, here I'm actually doing what I'm doing. And so yoga practice, along with this idea of mindfulness, gets, gets us to the evolution of what it, what it really is to be present. And I, I, I like to think that um, more of us really understand that, but the fact that I completely miss that lets me believe that I want to meet people where they are. I want, I want to say, reconsider what you think is present. 
Because if you think it's present, you're already a step away from present. So reconsider. It's presence. Present moment is an experience, and it is right now. So if you're listening to us, it is saying, okay, stop, pay attention to your breath, and realize you're listening to a podcast, and then you can start to expand into the present moment. Mm. Here's that opportunity right now. I, I'll, throughout this conversation, will come back to the present moment, to me speaking, and, and I'll reconnect myself with the fact that I'm speaking, and I'm breathing, and I'm alive. And that is, that is a practice for me that's happening even in the background of being present. When we understand the mechanics of allowing ourselves to be present, that requires space. So we just need to give ourselves that space to experience this moment and, and understand, the, the understanding comes very clearly from that, that that's all there is, all there ever was, all there ever will be. It takes, you can take the present moment and explode it into a million different dimensions and it, and it encompasses everything. And then, well, that's, that's a big leap from where I want to go next. I, I just want to talk about mindfulness. So with access to the present moment, we can start to connect with mindfulness and our senses in the present moment. What am I feeling in my body? What, what is the atmosphere like on my skin? What am I hearing? What am I seeing? And so those experiences, when we connect with them, we are present with them. We're giving them space. We're giving them our attention. So we start to get into the, the dynamic of the observer. So the observer is the one who's seeing us pay attention. The observer is the one watching without any judgment, without, without any... The observer just is. It is. And so it's an elevated uh, awareness that there's the observer, and it, and it simply is. And the observer is seeing this awareness, this consciousness, experience the present moment. And that allows me to, to expand into it. And so through doing this and, and understanding really that there's so much more, one of the beautiful moments in my life was recognizing that I have no ceiling with this yoga practice. I have no, I have no idea where it ends for me. And that gave me a lot of excitement at the time. It still gives me a lot of excitement because it, there's, it, there's infinite possibility of growth and potential within that present moment experience. And so you know, when we are present, everything goes away. And this really is the essence of yoga. When we say yoga to, to create union, it simply means to melt into the present moment, to be present. Then there is no disconnection. So, so not being present, there's disconnection. And this is a faculty of the mind, the ego, uh, where our attention is. If it is with the moment, we are in yoga. If it is out of the moment, we are out of yoga. So we can even be distracted, but if we are with the observer being distracted, we are in yoga because we're observing the mind. And it's this, this, this understanding that I'm not my mind. My mind can be somewhere else. And if I'm observing my mind be somewhere else, I'm present with that even. So the, the mindfulness practice is really good. It gets us more into the subtle. It gets us more into being able to expand the, the experience of being present. And then we want to withdraw the senses in yoga. We want to be able to withdraw the senses so we're not necessarily sensing what's outside of us or what we're hearing or what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. So if you close your eyes and cover your ears, you can tune into something different. It gives us the opportunity to become more still, often is what happens. And then what is there, which often we're distracting ourselves from the outs with the ex external world, what is there begins to reveal itself. And... With that, yoga takes us to the next level of concentration. Concentrate on what is there, be present with that, and allow the energy to move. Because yoga understands, the practice understands, um, the teachers that, that brought yoga to us understand that it is all energy, quantumly. It is all energy. So whatever is there that, that presents itself to us within ourselves as we close our eyes and go inward, is, is only wanting to move. It's only wanting to evolve. It's only wanting, it's, it's a dynamic state, right? We're in a dynamic state always. So yoga has that, that lineage with it of the, the ancient rishis who were in the Himalayas in North India and sat with themselves and got the cosmic downloads of just simply what we're here and what is possible with consciousness as human beings. And Patanjali, Patanjali is, is the one we give credit to. He's a, a sage or a mythic being creating the, the system of the eight limbs of yoga. 
And it's the system of going from the more physical and the more practical to the more subtle, to the more sensitive, to the union, to the connection of source and the connection of really what is a sense of bliss when everything gets dropped, everything else gets dropped. There's a sense of bliss. We can call it love. We can call it a vibration of love and a, you know, a beautiful vibration. And so if you really immerse yourself, when I really immerse myself in the present moment, this, there's qualities of this there. It's peace. So yoga is about getting us to that. And of course, there's so many physical benefits. There's so many you know, like health, emotional health, mental health benefits associated with it. And we talk about that today because we're obsessed in the West with illness. Mm. So we, we look at yoga practice as one that, that brings the sense of, of harmony and wellness back because we're obsessed with sickness and we want to get better. That's typically where yoga comes up. That's typically where people come to look at yoga as a practice that they could potentially become more healthy, heal themselves, etc. And really what I want to say is like that's just the tip of the iceberg. Great. We, you get a healthy body, healthy mind, healthy spirit, and then you get to expand into this present moment. So it becomes very expansive and it becomes the the, the mechanism that expansion is is how we can really move through and embody what we're here to do at a purpose level, at a soul level. So yoga offers all this potentiality and all this um, so much more than the simple case of, of being healthy, which is tremendous, of course. And then there's that next level of like, wow, this is life. I can experience, I can interface with life in all its cycles and all its dynam dynamic movement and change and what a, what a celebration it is to, to be able to experience it. Man, yeah, that's a, that's a, a lot, a lot a very well-bodied uh, answer there. There's a lot, to, to kind of, a lot of directions. Like I was kind of scribbling some notes down. I think I'll have to go on to the next page for this, but lots of different <laughs> things. So great, that was fantastic. Um, I actually want to, I, I got a few things on my mind, so definitely want to start with, first off, you, you've touched on like the Western perspective of, of yoga. Yeah. And I guess I'm going to start just with my like fairly basics uh, you know, um, I guess experience with yoga myself, just cause it's easy to uh, talk about my experience, obviously. So, yeah. uh, I've been in it for, I, I started doing like a, a hot yoga. Uh, I want to say about 10 years ago. And it's kind of one of those things. It's like meditation for me. It's like, I know I want to do it more and I know I should, I know it's a soft talk acknowledged <laughs> that I, I should <laughs> be doing it more. Um, so I usually do about 10 minutes of stretching a day. I have my own kind of like yoga routine that works for me. And it feels fantastic. And I usually do one one hour session, whether it's like a YouTube or I'll go to like a, a you know a class here in town. And in, that was the first thing I noticed actually was the mental clarity that you got out of it. So I was expecting the okay. I know stretching is good for me. The older I get, I, I recognize that stretching is going to be key for my health and various other things. So initially, as to your point with the whole Western mindset, is it was, I was thinking my body more than anything, but. The first class I ever took, especially in that, that, because it was a hot yoga, so I was sweating a lot, uh, I came out with this very linear thought as opposed to, like, you kind of touched on, I have kind of a scattered brain. I think a lot of people do, just the distractionary nature of the, day we, the yeah. days we live in, right? Cell phones and pings and squirrel and everything else going on, right? So uh, I came out and I had this, like, linear thoughts. I wasn't, like, you know, halfway through sentence, jumping to the next sentence, what I normally do. I would actually just think an entire mm -hmm. thought all the way through. I'm like, this feels great. I need more of this. And Beautiful. so that was kind of my, uh, my initial experience. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious because you were talking about the full body, like all the different layers of it. So it is apparent to somebody that would to start, like if we're talking to somebody that's kind of interested listening to this today, that's like, well, okay, no, I'm kind of interested in what they're saying here. I'm like, or I've been thinking about yoga or I'm just starting with yoga. Uh, so you're kind of saying like, you've talked about, I guess, like the eight limbs or the full path of yoga as far as ending up almost like a reflection or metaphor of life. And it's like a lifestyle, a way of living. Absolutely. So, yeah. Right. So that's super cool, I guess. And you kind of touched on it. So let's go back to, let's circle back to the kind of the genesis of you getting into yoga. So you kind of mentioned okay. you were getting into, you know, um, self-help books and such. 
And uh, like you said, you mentioned a thread. And obviously, I'm, I'm assuming, are you like an Eckhart Tolle fan? Like, did you read any? Of course. Right. So anybody that hasn't listened to, or listened to audiobooks of him, which are great because he does the, uh, the narration for it, and he's got the most soothing voice. <laughs> um, but Eckhart Tolle does like the power of now. So like what we we're talking about today with the present thought, like, and that was like, honestly, dude, that was like probably the last year and a half is when I first got into that whole idea of the observer. Like you were not your thoughts. I'd heard those types of things before and I was always like, yeah, totally. But I didn't really know what it meant. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm identifying with it now and it's like, it's a very powerful thing, but man, it takes like, well, like anything, especially with all the old programming you've probably had takes a while to practice it and get good at it and understand what and hold it and hold on to that. Okay. Cause like I find you can identify with it. And then it's just like snaps back like, oh, yeah, okay, cool. But those little gaps will eventually, you know, expand, presumably, if you keep working on it. So, yeah, anyways, I'm kind of rambling now. But uh, let's get back to you. Like when you you first started, kind of what were you pre-yoga versus post-yoga? And and, and, uh, in your timeline, when did you take it up as like a teacher as well? So uh, a few different questions in there. Yeah, absolutely. So I... The first thing I like to start with is I went on a very big physical transformation weight loss wise. So I I, uh, I grew up very overweight, morbidly obese. I was really? around, I was scratching 300 pounds. Really? Uh, 130 kg. Wow. I think more or so. Um, when I was in my late teens and up to the point where I was 20, when I left my home, I was able to get out of some of the toxic dynamics and, and like the, the, the food that was around and everything like that. And I got in with the community and I started a a great weight loss experience that was a a big physical transformation. And I often link that to the, that, that which cracked the egg of something much deeper in me um, into more of an unraveling. And at the time I was studying engineering with the idea that I wanted to be an engineer. And, And really in retrospect, it's that idea was very externally driven. It was for, um, to to be a, perceived as intelligent, it was to be perceived as um, you know doing something that the the society would approve of, my mother would approve of. So all these external motivations, and of course that couldn't survive the the transformation that was brewing underneath me, and are beneath within within me, and after I after I did the weight loss thing, I recognized that there was a lot more to, to start discovering. I, 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 I really cracked the shell. And engineering lost its drive because I found there was other things to live for in this life. It wasn't to make those others proud. I could live, I could live my own life and, and really experience the richness of my own life. So I was, the, the flame was lit and stoked with that process. And I got hugely into running. I got really big into like very yang, like very uh, fitness and boot camps and running and movement. Like I, that became my next obsession. And because I started putting my attention to that, my career in engineering started to fade away as if when we stop giving something our attention, it's, it starts to die, in our, at least in our life. And I had done so well in engineering, like I really worked hard and I was a great student that I could coast for some years. And I thought, um, you know, this is okay. I can still do this. The question started evolving in me of how can I do this and still do what I love? How can I do this and still do what I love? And that's, therein lies the time of, of reading all the self-development books and trying to find some answers in my life. And around that time, my mother also passed away. So a huge shift in me and, and what gave meaning to my life and what am I doing all this for? And I realized I was doing a lot of it to, to make my mother proud. I was doing a lot of it to, uh, in a sense, to please her, to satisfy what she thought I should be, right? And so that was another layer that, you know, shook the foundation for me. And while I still continued on the path of engineering, I, I did some internships, I started a master's degree. It eventually became so unappetizing, so out of my what felt like my purpose, so out of alignment for me that it became this thing that was almost like giving me sickness. It was it was just pure weight and pressure on me to continue that field. I, I'd lost all interest in it. And so I had moved to France 
in order to uh, do the master's degree that I was studying. And while I was at France, it was a small, outside of a nice town, and it was, you know, in a, a rural area, this campus was, was a satellite campus of the school I went to in the States. And there was no group fitness scene happening whatsoever. And that's what I left. When I left to go to France, I was loving that. I was teaching group fitness. Um, you know, one day somebody said, why don't you teach this? And I thought that was a freaking great idea. And so I got certified to teach spin classes and boot camp and everything because I love sharing it. And I, and I really recognize through that process that teaching, that sharing is something that is very aligned for me. Even as an engineer, I was tutoring people because I want that, you know, that's something that's aligned to me. So I created this community in this um, campus in France around group fitness. We did boot camps, we did ran running. Um, I led those classes and I had a friend who was also attending. She taught yoga. And so I started doing more yoga there and I got more into yoga. And now before that yoga, I had practiced yoga for several years, even before that, just very on and off. It was purely supplemental to my running, to my, you know, as I need to stretch, my body is getting tight. I need to stretch, right? We have that dialogue as runners. And that started to again, work on me. Yoga, yoga has this way because it's an intelligent practice. Yoga works, doesn't matter. Um, I mean, it, the, the degree to which it works can matter with who you're learning it from. At the same time though, you can, you can find yoga in your morning stretching routine and it will work on you because it's an energetic practice, right? Um, and so I remember coming home one day in that campus feeling so much dread from being behind on my coursework and all of this. And then I looked over, I was looking at the ground and that's, you can imagine that state of mind, like totally dreaded, heavy, all these associated feelings. And I look over to the right and there's the soccer field, the football pitch where we were doing all the boot camp classes I was teaching, the community gathered around that, just peers. I was inviting people to come work out with me and, and let's do this together because I wanted the accountability. And, and the shift in that moment was like, wow, from very heavy to very light. And that was enough to tear the bandaid off and say, look, I don't like this. And I had to swallow a ton of pride because really it was a lot of pride of me invested into being an engineer. And in that moment, I really made the decision that I wanted to, to pursue health and wellness and group fitness. And it's that we have some decisions that are the culmination of a lot of little steps. And that is, that is part of it. And then some huge decisions that are momentous and, and create a completely different life. For me, that was a combination of the two, because I can put a pin in that moment and trace it all the way to the point where I walked into the yoga studio um, in, the, in London, UK, in London, England, where I really started to immerse myself in the yoga practice. So from there, to make it quick, all the, the doors started opening for me. I knew I wanted to live in London, um, London, England, because it had a rad group fitness scene. So, so many studios, I could see the potential for teaching indoor spin classes, and I was really excited about it. So I got a, um, a I started studying at a school there, and I got a visa, and within two days of moving to London, I walked into the yoga studio, the House of Yoga, and I signed up for their 30-day uh, introductory offer. It wasn't free. It was 30 pounds for 30 days. And I thought, as a, still in a college student mindset, I'm going to go every day and I'm only going to pay one pound per class. And it's going to be like the most value I could possibly get. And that's it. I did, I did that. I went for every day and I fell in love with the community. I started working at the studio to continue to get discounted or free yoga. And within a few months, I was like, yeah, sign me up for that yoga teacher training because it's it's it was the the combination of the community being very uh, really good for me, the the practice doing incredible things for me and for my awareness because it allowed me to start becoming aware of other things I wanted to work on. Mm. A lot of that early childhood and all the way up through my teens, there's there was definitely some toxicity going on and some things that I had not digested yet. Um, I had a very difficult relationship with food, binge eating, overworkout, binge eating, that, that hamster wheel cycle was in my life. And yoga started giving me a, a deeper awareness. And this is what I was talking about earlier is how it works on us. It increases our awareness of, of patterns. We are simply manifesting patterns in our life. And it, it takes 
bringing up our consciousness through practices like yoga, meditation, um, journaling, writing down to start to notice these things. And when we notice them, we start to evolve them or unravel them or we create shift and transformation. So thanks at that period of time, yoga started bringing light to the fact that I had very unhealthy relationship with food. Um, a lot of stuff from my past that want, that wanted resolution. And I really looked at it as something that could help me. And if you, and if you asked me before that, what healing was, I said, you get a, you get a scratch and it goes away. You healed. It's like a purely a physical thing again. So my mind very oriented in the physical. I was an engineer, very oriented in the practical, very left brain, very like rational, logical, except that was out of alignment with who I really am because mm. I am now that I've really learned that was all conditioned. That was all that was, most of it was conditioned. That was primarily conditioned. And so the unlearning process and the unraveling process has been years in the making and it's still, still going. Um, because I have this strong desire urge fundamentally to my personality, like this isn't something that's conditioned. I want to share, I want to teach, uh, I want to present to others the things which serve me, the things which I think are elevating, the things I think which are benefiting humanity and, and um, our planet, our, our whole ecosystem. Uh, health was the first part of that wellness, um, diet and everything like that. And then it was yoga. And so of course the yoga teacher training was a no brainer. And at this particular studio, yoga teacher training was a big transformational process. They, they set out to make it about, yes, you teach the physical yoga and you're going to transform because it's all about self-inquiry. Um, I, I really believe that the, the quality of yoga class that you would attend is very dependent on how present the teacher can be, how engaged they can be. And then you, you know it through language work and coaching, our, how present we can be is how much the other person can open up and really uh, be in themselves, be comfortable with themselves. And so that, that, that quality of yoga teacher training was amazing. And it was the deepest experience I'd had to that point the people I met over that the course of that six months are friends. Some of them are friends today, and that was six years ago. And I took a rocket ship. Like I, I realized that this is exactly what I want to do. And it, nothing in my life mattered. No story about it needs to be like this. I need to make this much money, or it, you know, it needs to show up like this. I just was like, I, I'm happy if I'm teaching yoga. And of course, that quickly evolved into wanting to to do workshops and, and bring more and more connection, more presence to students. And, and everything that yoga has taught me, I want to present it in something that is accessible, digestible, something that matters and people can take practically and start to practice that. Because here's one of the big awarenesses that, that came to me. I read a lot of those books. We can read Eckhart Tolle till we're blue in the face. It does not matter until we engage with that practice or that experience of, of being present. Like you said, uh, the, the being the observer. Yeah, it makes sense. The rational mind will take that and, and make sense of it. It's what it does, right? It's not the experience. So the sense making the, the, the idea that we're understanding something is a layer below the experience. So we want to, we want to go into the experience, right? With just about anything in life. I want to, I search for the experience. What's present for me. So after um, living in London for a year and a half, I my visa expired. I was sad about it because I really loved London. It's the last place I really felt. I, I mean, I've been nomadic for six years since, and it was a place that I felt like home. Like I could, I was happy to live there. And and the universe had other plans. My visa was expiring, and I wouldn't trade what happened for anything because it's been an it's continuing to be a, an amazing adventure. And my first thought was, well, I'll go back home to Georgia, where I am now. Um, I'll, I'll start a yoga studio, and that will be that. Later that same day that that thought popped into my head, I had a conversation with one of our facilitators who was teaching us yoga philosophy and, and Sanskrit terminology. And wow, she offered us a, a deep container for, for a deep experience. And I, I basically walked up to her, Lucy Crisfield. She's an amazing teacher. I said, what was that? What was that? Like, I've been a student for 25 years. I've sat in desks. I've, I've never paid that quality of attention to anything or anybody. What was that? And then we started talking about, you know, what I'm going to do next. And I said, well, my friend Jack 
who is also a yoga teacher, is having a retreat in India. I'll go to that for three, I'll go visit India for three weeks and I'll go back home. And she said, well, why do you want to visit India for only three weeks? And then when she asked that, I said, well, how long do you think I should stay? And she said, stay as long as you can. So I, she, she moved me in such a way that I was like, yes, you're right, I'm going to do that. So I went to, to India. I uh, connected with so much more of what yoga is, its lineages, its roots, practices like Ayurveda, which is a profound practice of holistic um, practice, connecting with nature and understanding our nature and our, you know, at an individual capacity, which brings tremendous compassion and understanding for others and healing. Uh, I, I continued studying yoga. I studied with other yoga schools. I was teaching at guest houses, traveling around. And finally, like two weeks, no, two months later, Jack sends me a message. He's like, hey, I'm starting my yoga school or I'm, I'm growing it. Do you want to be a part of this? And I was like, absolutely, yes. And so for three years, I was with Happy Jack Yoga, which is based, I was, just, I was telling you, I've got good friends in uh, Muskoka in Ontario, Canada. Nice. And uh, they've, for the last couple of years, it's been all online and they've developed a, a bright and shiny online community. And for three years there, I was with them traveling, uh, you know, all over the place, um, helping facilitate yoga teacher trainings and retreats. And I really, I really enjoyed that phase. And personally now myself, I've gone much more into the coaching. I'm still facilitating yoga teacher trainings online with the yoga school I trained with in London. And I love that I'm giving workshops regularly, whether it's online or uh, at local studios. So it's been a, it's been an amazing journey for me. And it's something, like I said, when I first felt like there's no ceiling and when I first felt like this was it, I really relate that to the, the moment I really trusted myself to be a vehicle for this, for, for whatever it is. And so it's, I'm really malleable on what yoga is. I'm really malleable because if it, if it evolves our consciousness, increases our awareness, doesn't matter what you call it to me. It's, it, it, is, it is yoga because ultimately yoga is just a word. It's the experience we're talking about. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a, a very important concept. Like I, I, uh, I remember hearing a quote, something along the lines of, um, you know, learning is just another form of procrastination if you're not applying it or integrating it, right? So there's so many, you know, lifetime students and it's great to have a student mindset for your whole life. Don't get me wrong and you should. Right. But if you're not applying it, like you say, it's almost like this layer underneath, uh, you know, the experience and in the experience therein lies the integration and the, and the practicing and yes. right. And focusing and, and changing. Right. So sounds yes. to me like, uh, I get the impression that you're very much like a, a seeker, like you're, you're constant, you're very curious yes. by nature. Right. So, and yes. I'm thinking that the more you uh, discover about yoga, it very much, uh, you know, feeds into that and continues to, uh, you know, flourish that side of you. So as far as being like a seeker and curiosity, I, I remember, uh, there was, uh, I think Larry King who was interviewing, basically until he passed away that was his whole reasoning and what he he basically he'd write a few notes but other than that he said his curiosity drove his interviews and his career well into whenever he was in his 80s so what what can you say about just the, the fact of curiosity there's a lot of people that i think almost numb their curiosity like you can maybe get oh, into self-medication or oh that's not for me or that's never going to happen get in that negative self-talk but for you curiosity aka intuition or however you want to to speak it or, or label it uh just how important is that to you personally and what can you say to some some folks that are I guess maybe a little bit nervous about exposing that side, whether it be, you know, uh, bad experiences they've had or what they've perceived as bad experiences that sort of limit that curiosity. Like, Oh, I, I, I can't do that. Right. Uh, I guess the two part question there. Yeah. It was when I started practicing yoga regularly that I realized how effing judgmental I am, mm. how much I judge myself, how much I compare myself, how much I'm looking around in the room, seeing others creating little stories about them. And it was because it was, it was that awareness because you, the yoga practice puts us with ourself. And when I'm with myself, I can start to see what's happening. And it was that realization that the, the shift where judgment cannot live is in curiosity. So, so, so curiosity is the, the antidote to judgment. Ooh, that's the intro right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's fantastic, man. I've never heard that worded like that. Say it again. What was it? It's curiosity. Curiosity is the, is the antidote to judgment. Oh man, that is 
antithesis. So good. So good. Yes. That is definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. It hit the spot. It does. It, yeah, that is like. Oh, it's, I, Dude, yeah, I, that's, that's what I like about spoken word and podcasts and so forth. If somebody can just hit you with something, just a, just a seemingly a combination of words, but it just hits you and you're like, that's it. It's just been something that you've, it's been on the tip of your tongue, but somebody can like articulate it in such a way that it just, man, I love that. And I love what you just said there. That is, that is the intro for our episode, right? <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. That's, I'm so little for that. So good. good so good. Uh, and I want to get back on, into a little bit of your uh, passion for as far as like group work and you, you touched on it. So there's two things I want to touch on as far as being a group and a community accountability, as well yes. as, uh, as well as the collaborate collaborative nature of it, the positive energy that can come from collaborating, comparing notes, so to speak with somebody that's like-minded. That's what I've always liked about going to the gym. I do miss going to my gym because there's, as soon as you walk in there, you know, it's yeah. this energy of people that are trying to, you know, improve in different levels and different spots in their life. But there is that energy of just, I want to improve myself. Right. So I think that's a lot to do with a community or a class as well. So those are my two, uh, I guess, subjects that I'd like you to discuss is the accountability aspect and the collaborative nature of being in a yes. group. Absolutely. And community has, has played a pivotal role at every distinction in my life of growth and evolution. So exactly what you said is, is my experience to collaborate. Community has always allowed me to uh, step up and evolve. And when we are together around something that matters to people, so something that matters brings people together. Somebody who's initiating that will, will support and hold the space for a community coming together. We can think about the communities in our life and, and somebody had to be the epicenter of that by sharing their passion. And that passion mattered to enough people, the, the way they shared it mattered to enough people in order to, to form around that. And then the, the, then community can become the intention. So oftentimes community can happen uh, even before the intention to create communities because something matters. And when, when we're in a field, you get a bunch of people together in a field together around something that matters to them, the energy is going to that thing. Our attention is going to that thing. And that, remember, our, what we put our attention to is the energy that we have. That's, that is uh, just a side note that I feel like is the most, one of the most important things in our world today when there is almost limitless things vying for our attention because it's a part of the market. It's a part of our, the society we're in. If people can have our attention, they can, they can influence us. Mm. We, influenced, right? So recognizing that your attention is your energy and, and to be present enough to, to decide to choose where am I putting my energy? Where am I putting my attention? So bringing it back to communities, when we put our attention towards something that we're sharing, we elevate that. We give it energy. We're elevating that. And that's why I really believe communities elevate us because there's an there's a increased, like an epicenter of energy. And that's where the accountability comes from. It's like the, the other distractions, they go out the window because we're not giving them attention. We're giving that mm. thing. So we grow into that thing, whether it's the, the coaching community or yoga community or, or fitness community, we're giving that our energy and therefore it, it must grow. It's, it's, it's nature, mm. essentially. And yeah. As human beings, we, we thrive off that. We thrive off being with each other. I mean, it's, I can think of, because I have a great optimistic disposition disposition that I can think of a lot of great things that has come from being um, shut down and, and, and everything going online where we can connect and people can feel more safe in their homes to do these, um, you know, yoga trainings. And oftentimes people feeling safe lends to more vulnerability, leads, leads to more openness and, and a greater catalyst for transformation and new awareness. So th there's a lot of great things that have come from um, the shifts that we've experienced. And I still believe, even with that, uh, being in person in a room together or at a retreat together and like in person is, is the best. It really is so good because that energy is there. It's clear. There's a container for it and our focus can stay and our focus can help grow what it is we're wanting to grow within ourselves. So community and, and collaboration at the same time, we're sharing our energy. We're bouncing ideas off each other. We are seeing perspectives. And again, that curiosity is there. There's an openness to that as well. And we can, the, the great proverb, the great saying that a rising tide lifts all 
lifts all ships. Yeah. And community is often like that. It can be like that. Healthy community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let's specify what kind of community. Healthy for sure. Yeah, exactly. And just the accountability piece. So like we're talking, again, healthy accountability. It's not the uh, the browbeating, like, oh, come on, like, mm. you know, but there is a, a shared responsibility uh, that is, like you say, it's a positive mindset because it's, uh, you know, I think the, the weakest accountability is self-accountability because it's easy enough Agreed. to kind of, you know, wiggle, up, wiggle it out or justify it, right? Yeah. So as soon as you have one or 10 or 20 people that are, there's an expectation, it's almost like it, t- it ties into our external need to, uh, to be perceived as, uh, you know, uh, you know, I guess part of the group, right? And and you, yes, so you exactly. want you want to show up. It's almost like a primal need, right? You don't yes. want to be left out of the tribe. So as soon as you're part it of the is. tribe, there's that need yeah. to and and in there, as long as there's that to your point, that kind of corrective or a, a corrective positive energy, boom! It's just like it's such a powerful thing. And I mean, people pay. If you really look at it, if you break it down, people pay big money for accountability, whether it's personal trainers, Absolutely. right? So I just, yeah, I'm very interested in all that. Uh, you know what? There's like so many massive other topics I want to get into. I think it's safe to say, uh, as long as you're down for it, like a part two at some point, I don't know what kind of timeline you're on for today. I know that we just had the, the 45 minutes, but, uh, and I just want to give you a little, like, uh, I guess a couple of uh, teasers and give the, the folks at home uh, that are listening a couple teasers of what I do want to get into as well. Very interested in the breathing aspect of, of yoga, just breathing in general. Um, obviously, it's a big thing in the Enlifted uh, community as far as just the coaching and such. So big into that. Uh, and it's been a, a long road for me because I've, I've noticed over the years when I'm focusing on something, I literally hold my breath. I don't – I'm just like mm-hmm. if I'm focused, I'm like <sighs> – and then I'm like, I try to multitask. I'm, I'm, I'm growing out of the whole multitasking thing because that's brutal. And it's like, a, you know, a misconception. That's a whole nother topic. I really want to talk to you about distractions as well and, uh, and, and, and fighting distraction and kind of the, the origins of distraction and, and how it's always, you know, distractions always been in humans, you know, humans' yeah. lives. It's just taking different shapes, right? So it's not like, you know, people back in the day weren't distracted, right? It's just, a, it's taken on different, uh, uh, you know, different shapes. So breathing distractions. And also I, I've gotten my recovery coach certification and I'm Amazing. so fascinated in how yoga specifically exercise for sure, but yoga specifically as a recovery, a form of recovery, uh, you know, whether addiction recovery or whatever it may be, even depression, that sort of thing. Cause I think it's such, like you say, a full bodied, uh, you know, workout for both mentally and physically that it's, and there's just so much of the stuff that you're talking about in the, the first part of the interview, when you're kind of giving a breakdown of like, you know, the whole, uh, eight, the full path of yoga, uh, applies entirely to somebody that's sort of in recovery, that's transforming, that wants to improve themselves, that is coming from a vulnerable state of mind and such. So those are my three big topics that clearly could be a, a full another episode. So I don't want to try and cram them in, in here at the end. Uh, are you interested in doing that, uh, Jeff? Yeah, I'm definitely interested in doing a part two. Um, Beautiful. Breathing, breath is our bridge. Breath, breath. So metaphorically, breath is a bridge that when we put our attention to it, we we get into the present moment. We can be with our breath. We can mm. expand the present moment. So, so from a simple mental to physical bridge that we can allow them to, to to merge together because I can put my attention to the experience of the breath, that's the mental part of it, and then I can experience it, that's the physical part of it. And so we can expand, we can be present from that. So that's a, that's a tremendous benefit in of itself to allow all the things that are circulating in our mind that we might be giving attention to, the distractions. Mm. Remembering, like distraction mm. is just something I'm giving myself. A, I've, I've lost the ability to to be present with where I'm putting my attention. So I've forgotten. I just say that's that's forgetting and that's fine. And then I remember, come back to my breath. There, there's the present moment again. Mm. And so a lot of times we we've studied the language. We know how different thought patterns can upregulate our nervous system because we get anxious, we get uptight, we get worried, we get fixated on certain things and that shifts how we breathe. Yeah. And that goes into the that goes into the physiology of it. And so then by remembering again to be with my breath, I can come out of the 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 thoughts that are creating 
dissonance, the thoughts that are creating tension in the body. I can also get into my mechanics of breathing. And of course, the two will, will be related. If I'm breathing better and putting my attention to my breath, I, I can get more peaceful in terms of what I'm thinking, or I can become more clear in terms of what's happening between my ears. And then the, the great thing we can do is like Wim Hof. Thank goodness for Wim Hof being, you know what, who I'm talking about, right? Yes. The, the ice the, man. The ice man. Yes. The ice man, exactly. I mean, he, he's, he's used ice. He's used his extreme endeavors to really bring people into, into more awareness around the, the value of breath work, the value of pranayama. So he's a, he's a yogi. I, I say Wim Hof. Absolutely, he's a yogi. He's doing incredible things with his breath. He's using his breath to hack into his nervous system and to start to modulate some of the things that would be we would have considered unconscious out of our control. And so the, the breath can be with practice, with skill, with time. We can get more present. We can get more subtle. That's the more subtle, more sensitive. And humans... Because I talked about this earlier when I said the, the Western mindset, the Western perspective. As Westerners, we are very deeply conditioned um, for, many, for many iterations, for many what, what, um, generations to be outwardly oriented, to be outwardly oriented, meaning we're putting our attention on what's outside of us. We're trying to control what's outside of us. We think that what's outside of us is real. Mm. So we, we put that and to, and to context with there's also the inside of us and what's inside of us is real. We can also put our attention to what's inside of us, mm. what's happening at the spirit level, the mental level, the emotional level. And we can give that attention and we can grow our ability to be sensitive with that. So human beings have an incredible capacity to be sensitive creatures. I mean, we could say that we used to be far more telepathic. Um, far more empathetic, far more connected, because that those are the things that took to stay in the tribe, mm. to be even before language. That's a good point. That's a very good point. We needed to communicate, and it's through sensitivity. And what I'm saying to people is sensitivity is something you develop a relationship with and something that evolves. Mm. By giving our attention to the subtle, we can start to become more sensitive to what's happening at the subtle layers. And it's those subtle experiences that are manifesting for much further down the line as the big knock on the head disease or whatever, you know, thing that happens in our life. So if we can get more sensitive and more perceptive of the subtle of the um, smaller things that are happening, we can change a lot of the bigger things. And that's how that's when we say that's what's really happening. Uh, change comes from the inside out is because everything is started from, from energy, from the smallest vibration. So whether you get to Buddha status and you can, you can tell without being told by a scientist that everything is a vibration without having a microscope, without having any of it, Buddha, Buddha, the Buddha knew that he knew he, he understood atomic scale because he was so sensitive with his, attention. He could get things down to the smallest thing and he could see that it was just movement is all it was. So we have that, we have that ability if we train it. Uh, that's the big thing for, that I want people to understand and to be empowered by is it's, it's there. Give it your attention, give it your energy and it will grow. All of these magic powers, like we, we totally magic superpowers that when we start to um, shift our, 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 you know, locus of control to out, you know, from outside of us thinking that, you know, we can control the outside to what's happening inside. That's where the magic happens. Mm. Yeah. So good. So good. Do you find, I, I, I like some of the stuff we've been talking about where you're talking about, you know, the energy and a molecular level and, you know, and just everything's energy and vibration. I, I'm, I've always been fascinated by some of the, like the greatest thinkers when you think of like Albert Einstein or, or Leonardo da Vinci, they're big into like whole brain thinking where it's almost like the merger of the, the left and right brain. Like they're super analytical, but they're also completely open and not only open to like also very much uh, right brain thinkers. So I, that's why I liked about Albert Einstein. He was almost like he was so analytical and he could just do the crazy equations and such. By the same token, he was very in touch with like nature and like intuition yeah. and all that. So I was always fascinated by that. And even in Leonardo da Vinci too, he was obviously more so of a like an artist mindset, but the, 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 the ability to combine both and acknowledge both and and house both instead of being like, you know, binary. It's like, okay, no, no, it's either like a Neil deGrasse Tyson, for example, very much, 
a, a, you can explain everything. And if you can't explain it, we're on the path to being eventually being able to explain it. And he's, he's, I don't know if you ever listen to him talk, he's, he acknowledges the, uh, into intuitive and spiritual side of things, but he doesn't give it very much light. It's, it's all about like, no, it's, if it, it, there is some explanation for it, it isn't just uh, synchronicity or something. It's, you know, so it's kind of fascinating. I, I, I love that, that whole idea of like uh, whole brain thinking and being able to integrate science and, and like intuition and believe in both sides, I guess. Right. So us as humans, this, uh, it, we're kind of in a unique spot uh, right now where he, and I think, I don't know, how, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like it, it, it's kind of, there is oh, that yeah. sort of blending now? Uh, yes. We've almost come full circle and we're kind of going back to like what you're talking about. And it's very fascinating. I love how you put that. It's like, man, we used to be a lot more intuitive and sensitive uh, as people, and we still have that clearly, we have that in us still. And it's almost kind of like we're coming around the, around the bend and coming back to that almost in a sense. Do you, do you get that impression as well? Yeah, 100%. From who I was five, six years ago, even who I was three, three years ago, the evolution of my awareness, my sensitivities, my perceptibility uh, is ast it's astonishing to me. So I know it's there. And I know that, that it's a product of the greater um, evolution of consciousness of human beings that's happening right now, especially in these months. 2020, 2021, 2022, like it's, it, there's big, big transformation happening at lots of levels. And it's, um, it is this coming back to understanding that, that we are of nature. We are, we are of nature and thinking that we're separate from nature is that's the great that's the eating the apple in the garden of evil in the garden of eden like that is the, the, the separation and so the, our coming back to recognizing we are of nature we are we are living breathing human beings and the idea of the you know the disconnection that that's often facilitated by the the thinking mind the thinking the rational one is disconnected from the the, the living the the right brain the the life mm. the experience mm, yeah so if you if you're in one area of the arena only rationalizing what's happening there leaves very little space for experiencing what's happening so we want to put the two right. together right very well put man some really great stuff here so I guess, and that leads me to a question. I like to ask everybody that comes on the show, and uh, it's kind of curious what your opinion is. And you you sort of mentioned it there when we when you were talking. Do you feel that there is a shift overall? Like I, I do you feel that obviously there's a lot of negativity uh, in a lot of different aspects of life right now, and a lot in you know worldwide, right? But do you feel it's kind of like the you know the dark before the light? Like do you feel that we yeah. are going to come out of this better? One hundred You do. Okay, that's great. No. Yeah, negative. All yeah. the negativity right now is just the shadow. It's the sh it's what we've suppressed for a, for a long time in in the collective. It, well, at an individual level, it's people's suppressing things and it's manifesting, and so it manifests. It gets it gets seen and then it gets transformed. That's ah, how it would happen. Brilliant. So, I I I tend to agree with you, and I really hope you're right because that's uh. That's how it feels, yeah. man. Like, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a very articulate way of putting it. That's that's great. So, you know, just to I guess to wrap it up, you're at about an hour. I will definitely have you back on, Jeff. Thank you so much yeah. for your time today. Just awesome. some fantastic stuff here. So, we barely, I mean, we talked about almost like the overview of uh, of some of the uh, you know the benefits of yoga. Uh, but so, there's definitely a lot more that we can we can get into here. Uh, but yeah, just fantastic stuff. Uh, I guess uh, a couple of quick fun questions I always like to ask at the end here awesome. is uh, if you had just uh, assuming that the borders are back open and you can travel anywhere, what would be your top three places to travel right now and why? Ireland. Ah. UK. Okay. The yeah, United Kingdom. Okay. And... Likely, I, I would group India and Nepal, even though there's two different places, but they're very close to me because when I've, for several years before lockdown, I would go to India every year and then Nepal after that. So India would be yoga and I'd go to Nepal and trek. So I, and why is I want to reconnect with the communities that are there. I want to reconnect cool. with the lifestyle I live there. I've got great friends in Ireland um, that live in 
a small coastal community called Greystones, and they're they're well known. They're the the happy pair. They have a cafe there, and they're uh, tremendous health advocates, health and wellness advocates, and they have a good social media, great social media presence. And every day they go and go, they go swim in the Irish Sea, cold swimming. Wow! And they're awesome. They're they're like a they're like a blue blue zone mentality community. Why they're doing all the things to support their life and live fully and and a quality life as well. And I mean, there's many places cause, cause for years I was doing the rounds of certain communities. So, so that's it. I would, I would reconnect with the people I've not been with in person for some time. Cool. Good answer. Good answer. What are you listening to? Uh, you know, on, on a daily, I'm assuming a lot of instrumental, uh, stuff, but we, I definitely want to get into when we talk a little bit more about the actual yoga and the way that you teach and such, I want to tap into, you know, Hey. How, how you pick your soundtracks and so forth. Like, I'm sure that you're very deliberate with the types of music that you pick. But if you're just walking around, what are you listening to? And it could be audiobook or, or podcast and whatnot. I'm just kind of curious what you, uh, if, we, uh, if we looked at your playlist right now, what would it, what would it tell us? Um, lately, not much. I've been, I've been going on walks without my phone more and more. Mm. Um, I used to listen to, I used to listen to tons of books, audiobooks, tons of podcasts. And lately I felt uh, somewhat saturated. I've been reading some books. Um, I rediscovered one of my favorite, uh, musicians, AWOL Nation. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think their second album or something like that. I really, really like it. Um, so I was listening to that in the car the other day and, and, and enjoying it. So yeah, just, some things on Spotify for my own personal music taste, what I get into. And then um, in terms of like also creating a vibe, like a lot of shamanic flute. I love it. Mm. Um, certain frequencies that are arranged and have a lot of tonal nature noises. I love that for meditating or just for having an atmosphere. Um, a lot of medicine music. So medicine music could be, uh, we I often consider medicine music in sp- of Spanish origin, and it's just beautiful. And the words that they're saying is the intention behind it. All of it is wonderful. And there's English, English as well. Any any music with a really great vibe, with with uh, an inclination towards um, connecting us to higher vibration, is is good. I consider it medicine, medicinal. Oh, cool. That's a neat, that's a that's a neat way of looking at it. I know what you mean with I, I've started getting into like I, I I don't know exactly how to pronounce. It. I think it's like the suffragio frequencies. Like there's like, yeah uh, like four seventeen and five twenty eight. I guess three ninety six works really well for dogs. Like uh, we I got a couple dogs, so if there's a thunderstorm, I'll just put on that three ninety six hertz, and they're just kind of like I guess it kind of calms them or like distracts them enough to not uh, worry about the thunderstorm as much. So kind of fascinating that way. That whole frequency part is like I'm a musician, so I just uh, oh, nice. I, I kind of went down the whole rabbit hole of uh you know tuning up your your instrument to 444 hertz instead of the concert pitch the 440 hertz and dude Hmm. i I would highly recommend there's like there's a bunch of youtube videos on it i'd highly recommend watching it like for example if you have like a um like a tuning rod that you put into water at 4 440 hertz the water's all just like all over the place right and uh-huh. if you put it at 444, it's just like these perfect ripples kind of come uh, out of it. So just that slight change is enough. And you got to think if that's what's happening to water, what is it doing to us as humans our, as well, right? Yeah. So I know the Beatles got into that as uh, after they'd kind of done their whole India thing, like tuning their yeah. instruments either down to 432, which is like a half pitch down if you're uh, playing on guitar, or just tuning it up ever so slightly to 444. And just the difference that it has on on like you as a human and everything was it's pretty fascinating i highly recommend looking up some of those youtube videos if you're ever uh, interested but yeah no dude that's amazing other than that where can we find you uh so you mentioned i guess is happy what was it the uh the folk happy jack is that the folks up in canada yes yeah okay well i've got a i've got a course online for them um in ayurveda you can you can find me more directly uh, on my website, Hefe. Hefe is a nickname. Hefe means boss. Oh, my goodness. My name is Jeff. Okay. Um, and for a couple of years, when I was in college, I had random friends start calling me Hefe, like seemingly unconnected. And, and I guess it's a personality disposition that maybe I'm bossy or <laughs> I don't know. Or there's yeah. a leadership quality to it. But I named my brand Hefe Living 
in essence, to for us to be the boss, the, the leader of our own life, like for uh, in terms of responsibility and taking ownership of our life. So it's it's a platform for meditation, for community um, meditation programs, and some courses I've created. Um, I'll put I'll put my I'll keep that website updated in terms of what's upcoming, whether I'm facilitating any trainings. Um, and you can always email me, email me there as well. And you can follow me on Instagram um, at Hefe, Hefe, J-E-F-E, at underscore A-F, as fuck. Yes. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, me as me, me as much as I can be. 